Good day, everybody, and welcome back to Touchline Thoughts, powered by the Garage Door Sports Network. I'm your host, Arfan Manji. Today, we're going to cover the National Women's Soccer League, so the NWSL, and we'll go over the main storylines because it's been a busy last couple of days. But for now, grab your orange slices and let's get going. So today's guest is a huge, 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 huge college football fan. She is the WNBA columnist on Sportsnet. She's the co-creator of At Ball, At Ball Girls Pod. She's a massive advocate of women in sports, and she's a friend of our network. I'd like to introduce our listeners to, drumroll please, Haley McGoldrick. How are you, friend? Good, how are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can't wait to get this off the bump. Um, for the listeners that don't know, Haley is super informative. She's one of the highest IQ sports individuals I've ever met. So thank you for being on our show. Um, so why don't we get right into it, right? So our starting 11 today turns our attention over onto the NWSL. So far, the standings are Portland leads, followed by Washington, Houston, Chicago, North Carolina, Sky Blue, Utah Royals, Orlando, and then OL Reign finish it off. So far, what are your thoughts on how the standings have um, sort of happened over the last couple of weeks? I mean, I'm kind of shocked at how well Portland's doing, considering their performance um, during the Challenge Cup. I mean, I love it. Obviously, Christine Sinclair plays for Portland, so we love Portland. We love Christine Sinclair so much. Um, also, I think the Orlando Pride should be better. Of course, yeah, they lost... Alex Morgan, but to have Marta, Sydney LaRue, Ashlyn Harris, and to be like seventh, I think they should be definitely performing a lot better than they are. Houston, obviously they won the Challenge Cup. You're going to expect this out of Houston. You should actually expect them to be a bit higher. Washington lost Rose LaValle, and they're still in second place, so they're doing really well. Um, Sky Blue FC, obviously, is always going to be in the middle there. Same with Chicago. Chicago made to the finals of the Challenge Cup. They still, I think, are finding their cohesion. They've got some some big names, you know, Keelia Watt on their team, but also they've got a lot of young people like Casey Short on their team. So I think that, you know, it's pretty standard. I would expect a little bit more out of OL Reign and Orlando Pride, but I'm, I'm not shocked that one, two, three is Portland, um, Washington, and Houston. Oh, <clears throat> absolutely. I think what's really different about the fall series so far is that the press, for some reason, is the, the style and the tactic that a lot of coaches have been using. I mean, you see what Portland can do. They overload you in the middle. Uh, Washington's really good at taking away your wing, um, and then you can't beat them in the middle of the park. And then Houston, um, I'm not sure if you got a chance to look at the game, but when they played the Pride, the Pride couldn't get out of their half for at least 67 minutes of that game. It, it just it wasn't pleasant to play against them. And, and then O.L. Reign, obviously, they, they shouldn't be down there. They, they're much, much better than the results have shown. Um, I, I'm not sure. Did you get a chance to see a couple of the goals scored uh, when they were down 2-0 against uh, Utah Royals? I watched the highlights. I didn't get to see them live, so I didn't have the same effects. Mm -hmm. Well, like their build-up play is great. Like I think a lot of the teams, like every team has a very good system and their ability to build the play up. 
Um, but I think we're seeing the talent of Portland, Washington, and Houston, and Chicago sort of kind of take them away and separate them from the pack, which is, I think, fantastic. And, and also, at the same time, we get to see the games on CBS. We get to see the games on Twitch. Like, for me, going on to my PS4, turning on Twitch is, like, the best because, you know, it's in the background. You're watching the game. You're doing your work. And you're like, okay, this is how I usually watch my soccer. So this is fantastic. Um, do you think that the the NWSL has done a good job with promoting Twitch and promoting CBS as outlets for uh, viewers? Absolutely. Definitely CBS for sure. CBS All Access is everything they always promote. Usually if an NWSL branded account versus a regular team is tweeting out the links to the games, absolutely. It's always on CBS All Access. Um, Twitch I haven't seen as much, but I like you said, I like the Twitch aspect because maybe traditional um, soccer fans are going to be going to CBS, but people who are gamers and they see it on and they might go, what is this and want to watch it? Mm-hmm. That's a different outlet. And I think they've done a really good job of partnering with a non-traditional outlet versus like YouTube or Facebook. I feel like on YouTube or Facebook, it's easy to get a little distracted because think, you know, you're on Facebook and then you get a notification, you click it, and you go away and that's that. Or YouTube, there's the sidebar that you get lost in all the time. I know I do. So I think they've done a really good job promoting it. They definitely promote CBS a bit more and I'm sure that's a money thing. I'm sure they're getting a little bit more money from CBS mm-hmm. than Twitch. But I think they're doing a really good job of promoting where to watch and that's how you grow the game is viewership, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's people who have played soccer their whole lives and they still don't really watch it because they don't know where to. So yeah. being able to have CBS, especially when they put it on CBS on TV, but even having it on CBS All Access online and Twitch is really great. And I think they have done a really good job of promoting that. Of course. And I think having or catering to your audience that's online is probably the best way to go now because like you said on our flagship show garage door sports uh, shameless plug but you know as you said there it's just more people don't have cable anymore they're they're more inclined to to pay for something online or they're more inclined to stream it whether that's you know legal or illegal we're not condoning any of that but um like i think you're right like if you can tap into a market especially our generation that is like mid-20s um early 30s there that's like the, the future, I guess, of viewers eventually. And switching over to online is a good idea. Um, I guess, I know you touched based on this on our flagship show, but do you think that maybe the WNBA should um, try and connect with Twitch rather than YouTube and, and Facebook? Because personally, like Twitch is easier to use. Um, it doesn't distract you. You're not, you know, again, distracted from other ads or pop-ups. Yeah, absolutely. And I know they have WNBA League Pass, so that's kind of like their version of CBS All Access. And they have a few things with ESPN, but I definitely think they need to get away from that Facebook TV. And also, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but it seems like kind of like, not cheap, but like when you're on Facebook, it's like really, like that's all you can get, like Facebook Live. Like (laughs) the WNBA is an amazing league. They have some of the best athletes I've ever seen play any sport. Like it's not just basketball. They could probably beat a lot of people at their own game they're so athletic but just like being on facebook live and people in WNBA like spaces will tell you the same thing like it's almost like a slap in the face to these women that they work so hard and then your game is being shown on facebook live Mm -hmm. like they definitely need to partner with somebody like twitch or some sort of streaming platform that is actually meant for 
like watching the game and not just like kind of being on the side when you're checking your notifications or seeing whose birthday you missed on Facebook. Yeah. Like, I think I agree. They absolutely need to find some other platform to be able to stream on. Watch, but no, because of COVID and travel restrictions, everything's clumped up that way. But when COVID ends, you will see these stars face off each other and I'm guaranteeing it'll be fantastic there. So there is about, Oh, actually, there's like two weeks left in the season. Uh, who do you think really rounds it up? Do you think Portland continues this this hot streak, or are we going to see someone take over first? I'm hoping so. I mean, they have they haven't lost yet. They have one draw and three wins. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Dash lost to NC Courage. Of course, NC Courage is probably a better team on paper than they're playing like right now. But I would like to see Portland rounded out. But I just have a feeling that Houston kind of got you know, the monkey off their back, you know, they came back from winning the Challenge Cup. I think they probably thought they had it a bit easy, you know, that Liverpool effect, you think you've got it great and then you lose 7-2 to Aston Villa. I I think Houston kind of fell out of it because they assumed that, you know, we're better than everyone else, even though there was some off-season changes made. But I think now that Houston kind of got that one loss out of the way, now they've just been dominating, they might make a comeback. Um, And Portland, I mean, Portland's with Utah and OL Reign. Like we said, OL Reign should be a bit better than they are. So maybe they might challenge Portland a little bit. Um, Utah, I mean, I love Zaria King. She's doing amazing. But I don't know if Utah right now has the skills available to be able to overthrow a team like Portland. I think they got lucky in their pod. I think the Northeast pod is probably the most competitive one right now. So unfortunately for those teams, as much as they're all the middle talent, there's not that talent gap that you've seen the other two pods. Mm-hmm. So, um, unfortunately, for those teams, those teams are probably going to, you know, have more 500 records, whereas a team like Portland is going to be able to get away with maybe only having one loss. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hoping Portland can pull it off for personal mm-hmm. reasons, but I see a team <laughs> Houston riding out how well they've been doing. And- yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Houston can dominate against North Carolina, who haven't been good since losing Sam Mavish, right? Um, the pride losing Alex Morgan. Um, I think you, when you lose leadership like that, it's a little difficult to really rebound. And obviously four games is, is a small sample size, but at the same time, the dash have definitely proven that they're there. Um, sticking with the, the South pod. Um, I have this question written down. This was before they lost. Um, but who's better than the, their, the North Carolina courage. I know they, they were leading last, uh, tournament. They've been very consistent. They've been very good. Is there somebody that can challenge them um, going forward, like in terms of leading the league? I think it is the Houston Dash, really. Like they, they have a lot of talent. You know, you've got Katie Mewis, who's amazing, and she's going to continue to be the leadership on that team. And the North Carolina Courage did make some changes for this season. And even you saw in the Challenge Cup that, you know, they were a team who's kind of dominating in the regular season, the regular season, the mm-hmm. round rock part of the Challenge Cup and then really couldn't pull through at the end there. So I really think Houston Dash is going to be that new leader team because coming into the tournament, nobody had them. Like, nobody had Houston on their radar. Absolutely, that was probably the last team anyone thought was going to win the Challenge Cup. Even when they were playing Chicago, I think a lot of people had Chicago written off as the winner. But I think Houston Dash might be the new leaders. Also, I would love to see Portland do well. I just don't know if they have it in them to be able to ride out 
the season, mm-hmm. especially if you get to a final scenario. Like I said, they kind of are in a pod right now where the talent's a lot weaker than they are. If they're playing those NC Courage or Houston Dash teams, I don't think they'll get the same result they've been getting. Mm-hmm. But I do see Houston being able to take on. I mean, you just saw the last game they played against NC Courage. So I think Houston's going to be that new queen team. Well, I hope so. I mean, you have a lot of Canadian connections on that with Sophie Schmidt and Prince and uh, obviously Chapman. So, you you know, like the Dash, you're, uh, I agree with you there, their press game. Like for some reason, I've been focusing on the press game a lot because it's it's suffocating teams. And I think to be successful, the way City plays or the way Liverpool plays in comparison is they press you. And if they press you, you're not going to you're not going to get an opportunity to win. So I have to agree with you there. I think the Dash are are probably the queens uh, for sure. And I think, and I, and I do hope that they're successful for sure. Um, with, I guess with the, the, I was a little surprised to see the pride lower than they are because of how talented they are and how great Martha is. Cause I'm biased to her. I think she's phenomenal, but what are your thoughts on, you know, NWSL stars heading to Europe? Cause they lost Alex Morgan. We've lost Tobin Heath, um, Christian press. Like you've lost so many good players why are they leaving and, and, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's obviously definitely a bigger soccer market over in the UK. Like that's, you know, they always say the Premier League's the best league in the world and these are all the sister clubs of all the Premier League teams. So definitely you're getting that exposure. Even I watched two or three weeks ago when Arsenal played, Arsenal women played West Ham and they had 600 season ticket holders in the stands for a women's West Ham game. And that's all that was allowed. I'm sure they would have more. Mm-hmm. But people really love soccer over there. And I think they have more budgets over there. You know, you look at salaries of women and men. And you're going to get paid a lot more playing over there. You're going to get more exposure. Like you look at Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. They outsold Manchester men's jerseys for, <laughs> for three days after their signings. And obviously, yeah, a lot of people are going to be like, well, it's because the Manchester men suck right now which yes they do but yeah also in the same breath I think there's like the same way if you look in the United States that people are obsessed with college football it's the same way when you look at the UK that's how people are with soccer mm-hmm. with football Don't yeah. but you know you grow up as a Liverpool fan and then your kids are Liverpool fans and it's kind of like a cult in a sense really like that's your, you know, every Saturday morning, that's what you're doing. You're watching soccer and that's that. So I think that kind of culture and growth in the FA Women's Super League is why they're leaving the NWSL just in America. Women's sports, especially, obviously that's an ongoing uphill battle and always will be, but soccer is definitely not the most popular sport in America. I think it takes a back burner to a few things, especially right now, like basketball for sure is probably one of the top sports. Other than football, of course, mm-hmm. football on the fall as well. So I think just being able to have that audience and having more opportunities for growth, and this is their career. They're going to want to make more money, absolutely. So there's a lot of reasons why I think they're going overseas, but that doesn't mean the NWSL is a bad league by any means. It's still... No gives people right out of college the opportunity to be able to better themselves and join teams, which they definitely wouldn't be able to do if the FA Women's Super League was their only option. That's also very true. And I think uh, Alex Morgan did a good job summarizing it. She said that um, I wanted to play more games. And with COVID and the opportunity to play, let's say, four games versus an entire potential schedule, she's like, it's just for my skills. If I want to be at the World Cup in a couple of years, if I want to 
be good because I know she just came off a pregnancy as well. So she's trying to be fit. She's trying to get her playing time. But her contract at Spurs has allowed her to come back to the States if and when the season resumes at a as at a larger scale, which is I think a lot of the players are starting to do that now. And I think it's it's a it's about balance. And uh the way Haley said is audience for soccer in North America is a little weaker than let's say football or hockey or baseball, right? Um and I think that's the challenge that we'll face here um in in canada or in the united states but in in the uk you're gonna get you're gonna get uh soccer you're gonna get darts you're gonna get cricket and i think the viewership at that level is very different obviously the uk is watching more football like american football but i mean soccer is always going to be your thing that you wake up to saturday or sunday morning to watch liverpool or united or chelsea or arsenal play right like that's the rituals that are in place i think then I, I would like to follow up with uh, the pay. Do you think that because there's a huge discrepancy between like a salary cap world at the NWSL, it's impacting a lot of star players from staying? Well, absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is their job and you have to train so much to be a high level athlete. And when you're only making like $40,000 a year and you have to have a second job, like you even think just in context, when the CWHL was a thing, the amount of women who would work a nine to five and then drive to the rink and go practice for three hours and then go home to their children that they had to tuck into bed and make lunches for and stuff. Like mm -hmm. it's exhausting. Whereas you have these men. And of course, like I said, on uh, the garage door sports episode, it's not like we're trying to say women are better than men. So they should be paid no. more. Than men. That's not the argument at all, but you think how much men make playing in the MLS and the MLS is kind of dubbed as a league where you go and your career's dead. Like, if mm -hmm. you can't play in the Premier League or you can't make it in Bundesliga or La Liga, then finally, like, ugh, I don't want to give up the dream, but I still, you know, need to make a living. I guess I'll go to the MLS. Mm -hmm. If you think about every good player that you've ever loved from a Premier League and did their career at MLS, that's why, because they knew they weren't going to make as much money or get yeah. as much time in the Premier League anymore. So that's where they go. And they're still making, like, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, whereas these women, like, the base salary a woman is making in the end of their sales, like $30,000. Like I make more than that at my part-time job here. Like it's very sad that these are incredible professional athletes and sorry, pardon me. That's what goes into the whole U S women's soccer lawsuit as well, because they're so much better than the men and mm -hmm. they're making less money. And Absolutely. obviously you can say maybe MLS versus NWSL is a different battle, but even just looking at those two teams, the women's team is so much better and they make so much less money and they have families they need to provide for. And you mm -hmm. looked at the Challenge Cup bubble and how many children were there because they had to take care of their kids as well as making a living playing these games and they're making like salaries that they can barely live on. Of course, the Alex Morgans and the Kristen uh, Presses of the world are going to make more money. But, you know, these girls coming out of college who this has been their dream their whole life and they want to play it, they're making like $30,000. You can barely live on that. I agree. And like for our listeners, just to put it into perspective, the top earners of 2019 in the MLS. So it was Latan Ibrahimovic made $7.2 million. That is probably the worth of every single salary cap or more. Um, if you compare it to the NWSL and um, the MLS there. So obviously, yes, the MLS uh, was established in 1993 and the NWSL really came into formation in 2012. So yes, there's a couple, like 20 years of a difference in terms of the market that they've built. But 
uh, I'm sorry to say this, but I personally will watch uh, an NWSL game or an FAWSL game over an MLS game. Like, it, it's just a personal preference. I think the level of compete, the level of soccer is better. Um, and I'm sorry for our listeners there, but I, I really do think that the level of soccer is better. Um, like, you're bringing in these massive players like Ibra or, uh, you know, Rooney came in and Beckham's been there. But it's like they're at the end of their career and that's it. Like, you're going to get maybe one Alfonso Davies uh, every five, six years that makes their jump over to Europe. And I think that's the the problem between like MLS and CPL kind of getting into there. But with the women, you can have any player out of an NWSL team make that jump over to the FWSL. Like it, it's there or they can make it into the, the women's league in, in, in uh, sorry, in France or in, in Germany, like they have the talent and they're very, very good to make those jumps. I think it's that bridge is a little longer for MLS to Europe. Yeah, absolutely. So then I guess the next thing is let's talk about our Canadian our Canadian representation in the league. There's there's so many of them. Is is there a Canadian player that surprised you and is there a Canadian player that every fan should be focusing on? Well, like you said, um Sophie Schmidt is definitely somebody people should be looking out for. Nichelle Prince, Lindsay Agnew, she's on loan right now to I think a German club, but she's gonna be playing for NC Courage. There are so many great Canadian players right now. It's shocking. Like, being somebody who covers the WNBA, looking at the WNBA has four Canadian players yeah. right now and seeing the long list of how many players are playing in the NWSL from Canada, you love to see it. You love to see the growth of Canadian women's soccer. Obviously, I think Canadian, other than obviously players like Alfonso Davies, but Canadian women's soccer is a bit bigger than Canadian men's soccer as well, in the sense that I could probably name half the Canadian women's team roster and then the Canadian men's team. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, like Quinn, Quinn's playing for OL Reign, Desiree Scott, um, Stephanie Labay. There's a lot of great Canadian talent in the league, and I don't think people understand how just how many teams. I think there might be at least one Canadian on every team. Don't quote me on that. I haven't actually done the research, but from what I'm seeing, I think there's there's a bunch on. So yeah, NC Courage, Houston Dash, Washington Spirit, Chicago, Utah Royals, yeah. Sky Blue FC. So I'm thinking about one. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great Canadian players people should be looking out for. I don't think you can narrow it down to just one because obviously they all have different styles of play and different teams they're playing for that are going to utilize their skills differently. Obviously, Christine Sinclair, she's played for Portland her whole NWSL career. She's a leader on that team. You know who Christine Sinclair is. But there's a lot of young players who I think, like Lindsay Agnew, she played for the Houston Dash and now she's on NC Courage. She's somebody who I think people should look out for. Like Sophie Schmidt, obviously. Um, there's a lot of people. I don't think I can narrow it down to just one person that people should be looking out for. Okay. So I posed this question to our last guest. I think I'm going to ask you this question. Who's the best Canadian soccer player of all time, men and women's? Christine Sinclair. Okay, good. There's no, there's no argument about that. We're just, uh, we're just trying to see. I, I just don't want someone to come up and say it's Dwayne Rosario, And it's like, no, have you seen Christine Sinclair play? play? Like I, no, no knock on Dwayne, but I think Sinclair's the best we've seen and she'll continue to be the best. I mean, there's a couple of players that could probably challenge her, but I don't think anyone's even remotely close. No, I think maybe in a few years you could hopefully bring up the Alfonso Davies argument because he's obviously one of the best left backs in soccer right now. But 
you know, Christine Sinclair's been playing soccer at a professional level for 20 years now. She's on math. She literally is the top international goal scorer in soccer. How mm-hmm. can you beat that? That's true. And I think for Alfonso Davies's case, he needs some sort of production at an international level because we know, no, sorry, national level, not international. He, we know how good he is with Bayern because he's with a phenomenal team, but it's like translating that over to the Canadian national team and making them a place on the map that people just don't look over. Um, whereas, whereas Christine Sinclair, everyone knows when you're going to play Canada, you're going to have a difficult time, no matter if you're the first team in the world, if you're the United States or you're Brazil or you're France or you're England, you're going to come up against a very good Canadian roster. And I think that's the difference between the two there. Um, we, we looked at the numbers within the NWSL. Um, how about around the world? I mean, there's so many talented winners across Europe now, Like right? We look over at the French league. I think that's where the second most, or sorry, third most Canadians are. And like you have Ashley Lawrence who plays for PSG. We have um, uh, Kiddisha Buchanan who's over at Lyon. So like winning pedigree seems to be running through all of our Canadian players and the end of FAWSL. Like you have Janine Becky who's out there. Um, I'm just pulling up the list. Sorry. Um, like you have Janine Becky there. You have Jesse Fleming, Maddie Hill, who's a great talent. Um, Andriana Leon, Desiree Scott. Like these guys, all these ladies have played in Europe. They're able to bring some sort of uh, experience to the national team. And I think that's what makes them so successful. Um, do you think that Canadian players should aim to play at the NWSL level or should they maybe go over to Europe and, and play there and get more playing time? Well, I think you see the Jesse Fleming effect of how when she left UCLA, she went straight to Chelsea. It wasn't even the NWSL. I think a lot of NWSL teams would have loved to have her on their team and even fans because games are a bit more accessible. Obviously not right now because of COVID, but in general. But she knew that she would get more playing time over there. She'd probably get more money over there. As we said, it is a job at the end of the day. Um, and you look at, you know, a lot of people had Alfonso Davies saying, oh, he's the first Canadian to win Champions League. But no, Kadishu Buchanan, she won Champions League four times now. Like, there's just, I think a lot, like you said, because of the European culture, there's a lot more time for playing time, money, exposure when you go play in the FA Women's Super League or the Women's League or whatever league you're playing in. And also the NWSL is kind of obviously... You've got Christine Sinclair, who is one of the best soccer players ever. But it's really run, I think, by the U.S. women's national team, as well as a lot of U.S. women's, um, like, collegiate players. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of Canadian players, because if you don't get a full-ride scholarship, it's so expensive to go play at a school in the States. So, like, probably 90%, well, don't call me on this, but I'm sure, like, 90% of the NWSL talent is American. So it's not like you've kind of got that, I think for American players, it's kind of like you want to play in the NWSL because it's American and like all the U.S. women's national team players played in that league. And obviously that scene is changing now with a lot of people going to Fossil, but you know, you kind of have that sense of nationalism when you're American and you play in the NWSL. And I feel like Mm -hmm. the same for men with MLS, whereas versus Canadians, you know, we don't have a league for women in soccer here. So if you have the opportunity to go play in the FA Women's Super League, why wouldn't you? You get more exposure. Mm. You'll get more playing time. You'll get to train with academies who have been, you know, since the 1900s, obviously they've been training for men, but, you know, they have those resources. If you're training with the same people who train the Chelsea men's team, you know, why wouldn't you go take that resource? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Just moving over quickly is 
I know this is a huge social justice issue and um, like something that comes on TV now more often than, than it used to, you know, Colin Kaepernick started this with the kneeling during the anthem. And now it's sort of transitioned into all athletes in soccer have been doing it. Um, you've seen basketball do it. You've seen baseball do it. Um, what do you think the kneeling impact has on the game right now? Do you think that it's something that should continue or do you think that it, it's sort of teetered off? No, it absolutely should continue. If you have a platform, you have to use your voice. I always truly believe in if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. So there's lots of like you look at Kaya McCullough who played for the Washington Spirit and obviously she's playing in Germany now because she didn't get a lot of playing time in the Washington mm-hmm. Spirit. And as I've said 18 times already, but it's true. It's a job. You want to play. You want to yeah. make your money. You want to make that starting 11. Um, but she was somebody who knelt in college at UCLA and she took that into the Washington Spirit. And I think you saw a little bit of that controversy. Like there was that picture of Casey Short and Keelia Watt, and I don't remember the girl who was standing, because she's irrelevant, but <laughs> he's standing and, like, holding, and it's like, you know, you have to support your teammates, regardless of whether you personally agree with it or not, which I don't know how you cannot agree with it, because it's just basic human rights, but that's my opinion. But, like, those are your teammates. Those are people who, I, I don't really think there's ever a bond that can be recreated, like, there's with a teammate. Like, I have so many teammates that I played soccer with for, like, 15 years those are like my sisters mm-hmm. like you go through so much together sports can be not only physically exhausting but mentally at times and you go through the highs and lows of these people and there's so many life skills you can learn through sport and I just don't understand how somebody cannot support their own teammate mm-hmm. like it's just I think that's a different scenario when it's your personal beliefs versus like the human rights of your teammate how can you look at your teammate and think no I'm not going to support you when you know the struggles that person's been through, you know who they are as a person. So absolutely, I think it needs to continue. And if you have a platform, use it. Even the little platform I do have, I try and use to my best ability to, you know, speak up for people of color. Even though I'm a white person, will never understand their oppression. I do what I can to help them. You know, people in the LGBTQ2IA plus community, people who, you know, feel like they don't have a voice. If you have that kind of platform, you need to speak up. And if people are watching the NWSL, you need to be able to tell them how you feel. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Thank you for sharing that. I think being able to kneel is, at the start of every match shows the viewer that this problem still exists. It's not going to go away overnight. And I think the athletes that are following this trend are doing a good job with it. And obviously, like you said, when you're playing on a team for a year or two years or 15 years, uh, you build a brotherhood or a sisterhood and and so that becomes your family so wouldn't you do anything and everything in your power to support your family and i think that's the point that a lot of people are missing that it's not about a flag it's not about um you know some inanimate object it, it's about it's about a person it's about humans and humanity so i think that's a great way to segue into our Uh, Off the bench segment, which follows the spirit of the five substitution rule. Haley and I are going to read out five major stories that have happened over the past week or so. So Haley, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so Tori Penta became the first female head referee in an MLS game in 20 years. She took charge of the Nashville SC versus DC United match on September 23rd, 2020. Penta has officiated at the NWSL, USL, youth and college soccer levels. And she's come through the Pro 2 development program. Uh, the winner of the UEFA Player of the Year was announced on October 1st. Uh, there is no Ballon d'Or this year, so 
this is the cream of the crop here. So for the men and women, Robert Lewandowski wins it, as well as Pernil Harder, who made a switch over to Chelsea earlier in the season. Goalkeeper of the tournaments, respectively, were Manuel Neuer and Sarah Bahudi. Uh, defender was Joshua Kimmich and Wendy Renard. Midfielders, we had Kevin De Bruyne and Dezenifer Marazan. And in the forwards, our winners of the Player of the Year's, Robert Lewandowski and Pernil Harder. And for Champions League and for the Europa League, their draws were announced this past week. Defending champions Bayern are in Group A. Europa champions Sevilla, who were promoted to the Champions League, are in Group E. Potential groups of death are Group H in both the Champions League and Europa. Paris Saint-Germain, United, Leipzig, and Istanbul. Basa Kassir, I think I said that right. And then in the Champions League and Celtic, my boys, Milan, Gil, Sparta, Praha, and the Europa. The transfer market closed uh, on Monday, and a couple of teams made some key additions. Some made uh, head-scratching choices, but Bayern re-added uh, Douglas Costa. They signed forward Chippo Moteng and midfielder Roca. United went for Alex Tellez, uh, Aman Troyore, Cavani, and a young Uruguayan by the name of Pellestri. Everton picked up a defender with Godfrey and a goalkeeper with Olsen. Um, Arsenal outcasts uh, Matteo Guindosi and uh, Torreira are both heading out to loan. Gondosi over to Hearth Berlin and Torreira will go to Atletico. Juve signed Chiesi on loan. Bako Yoko uh, from Chelsea heads over to Napoli on loan. Sevilla did a good job picking up a defender with Karim Rakik. Ajax get Davy Klassen. Uh, PSG made not a huge move, but they picked up Pereira and Moises Keane on loan. Inter signed Matteo Darmian for some reason. Uh, Conte just wants fullbacks on his team. Uh, Hoffenheim get a young player by the name of Ryan Sessegnon on loan. Uh, uh, Leaders Ren signed Daniel Ragani on a loan deal as well. And Roma get their man with Chris Smalling and Arsenal pick up Partey. So there might be a little party in, in London there. Yeah, hashtag no Thomas, no party. Uh, speaking of Arsenal, they uh, there's been some news in the last 24 hours. They cut their mascot, Gunnar Soros. But then Mazuto Zil came out and said, as long as he's a gunner, he's going to pay the salary for Gunnar Soros. So Gunnar Soros was laid off, and now he's back, I guess. Um, so you love to see it. I think it's kind of hilarious, but also sad to think like how the – the cuts Kronke's been making for Arsenal, it's insane, especially when he owns the Rams and they just built a new stadium, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Gunnar Soros is employed again, so thank you, Ozil, for that. We love Gunnar Soros. There was a bunch of teams saying they were going to pick him up. Tottenham, our rivals, were going to pick him up. And then Sevilla tweeted that they were going to pick him up in the transfer window. It was like this whole huge Twitter thing. But Gunnar Soros is employed once again, so we love it. Yeah, well, some of the fans love. I don't know why they get rid of him to begin with. <laughs> I agree. Well, uh, that ends our off the bench segment. So before we sign off, Haley, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, just thank you so, so much for having me. I love football with my whole heart. I, like I said, I played for 15 years, the love of my life. Um, I am a suffering Arsenal fan. I am president of the David Louise Hate Club, but we will try and thrive and prosper. Well, thank you for joining us. You are fantastic. Um, and I do hope Arsenal decide to pick up a better defender and not give contracts to defenders that can't do anything. Um, well, you know what? That does it for our episode today. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a like or leave a rating. You can follow us on Twitter at TouchlineTH. You can follow me at Irfan Manchi. You can follow Haley at Goldie on Sports. You can follow Ball Girls at Ball Girls Pod. 
Don't forget to follow our network at Garage Door Sport and check out our website at garagedoorsports.com. Thank you again to the ever wonderful Haley for being our guest today. Thank, Thank you. you all for listening and see you next match day. Cheers.